everybody, we're back with the Hi everyone, a few hours late but still here is part two of our interview with Chris O'Leary. Lean back and enjoy. I have a, I have a couple friends who are TV news anchors. These are all friends from, from college yeah. and... Uh, and one of them has the t- like a T-shirt of a very angry Bill O'Reilly saying, "We'll do it live." We'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're back again. Uh, and uh, I want to change the subject a bit because we need to pick your brain. Sure. Normally, I went to the U.S. once a year. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance now for two years because of Corona. Yep. Three years almost. Yeah. Uh, so we need to know what's happening. What's bubbling? What, what's, what's bubbling? Beer bubbling over in the U.S. So um, I think we, we've touched on this a bit, but I've been trying to say it every year for the last five years. But honestly, the one thing, there has been a sea change in the last three years. More breweries are making lagers than ever. And I think part of High the reason... High quality lagers. Yes. Um, and I think that, that one of the reasons for that is that there was an opportunity uh, during coronavirus to production slowed a bit. So it freed up tank space. So a brewery felt more confident in tying up a tank for four or six weeks to lager a beer. And, um, then they started to realize that people will actually drink it. Mm. And that has been a definite change. like a noticeable change. It used to be that like one in every 10 breweries I visited had a lager. And now it's like, seven of every 10 that I visit in the States has a lager to varying degrees are good. I mean, the reality is there's still, a, there's definitely some breweries out there that shouldn't be lagering that are giving yep. it a shot at it. And, you know, they're just not it is the letting, toughest time to make. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause there's nothing to hide behind and, you know, especially like a, a Pilsner, um, you know, or a Hellas, like there, there's just nothing to hide behind there. I will say that, uh, among the, industry um i feel like a lot more people are drinking short spears um so a lot of like a lot of breweries have been making short spears just because their staff likes to drink them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, been, there's, there's been there's been more of that it's like yeah the, the like lagers and then as a subset black lagers are just kind of like an industry fave i love dark lagers yeah it's, it's, yeah it's, <laughs> but also also uh, i really had one before that the light lager to be honest yeah what we realized here in sweden is that Quite a lot of breweries are going back to traditional styles mm-hmm. overall. It's like they're doing milds and, yep. and like traditional bitters and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the old man's drink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and I think that's in the US, I think part of what's been inspiring that is, you know, kind of a regression towards lighter flavored alcoholic beverages in general you know our our the hard seltzer craze Mm. is (laughs) is um alive and well still i mean the growth has at least slowed in the last year or two but But i heard that boston brewery has uh, reallocated about 20 
97% of their production into hot seltzers. Yeah, yeah. And these are the guys who brought us, like, uh, uh, all, the, all these fantastic, and, like... Yeah, the, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, all the... You know the they were Boston pioneers. Lager and then like they were pioneers, you know. Yeah. And um, but they're business first and foremost, and they saw opportunity in in hard seltzer. And they were already, I mean, they were already making other malt beverages before that. They had you know their um, twisted tea line, and and they had been doing ciders through with Angry Orchard for a while. Um, so you know they have never been that they were exclusively about beer, you know, but like in the last like 20 years, they've always had this little portion of the business and they're finally seeing growth in that. Um, although they just continued their attempt at a, at a long drink. Um, uh, so some experiments work better for them than others. Uh, but because of the demand for, you know, lighter, alcoholic beverages i think that's what's kind of fueling some of the growth in the lager segment too you'll also see more than a few breweries doing hard seltzers too and that's that's one thing that's definitely changed i mean like people have hard tried seltzers were thing. yeah people have tried uh, it doesn't work because we have such a like sweet cider tradition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will so i don't think it's going to hit the market no I, there was one brewer i'm not going to mention which one but he, he actually sold his part of the brewery because he thought the hot sales was going to be a trend and it did not go well for him oh. in that well, sense. And, and it's it's sad, but still, it's it's, it's a weird thing to t- have trending because, as you said, it took up 8% yeah. of the market, yeah. beer market yep. in, in the U.S., yeah. which is mental. I mean, it's, it is... It, you know, and all the larger beverage producers got in on it, too, obviously. Um, and... I have to admit that like some of the seltzers that are made by smaller breweries are not great. Mm. Um, but uh, there's also a few, there's also a few breweries that have been making hard seltzers with, um, with like beer inspired ingredients. So they're, they're making a hard seltzer that's like hopped and it actually like, it's like, I don't mind that, honestly. Like, I actually mm-hmm. really enjoy a a, um, a lightly, you know, a, a nicely hopped right. uh, seltzer. I'm, look, hard I, seltzer's really easy to make. It's cheap to make. Yeah. Like, brewers, <laughs> brewers, brewers see an opportunity there. Like, yeah. they're like, look, if we can charge the same amount for a hard seltzer as we do for a beer and make more profit in, on it in our tap room, yeah, why wouldn't we do it? Yeah, yeah. obviously, but... But you have to do it well for I ha- people. To I like haven't tried one I like yet mm-hmm. because I don't. It's not trending in Sweden, and it has. We don't really have that. But, but I read in in your last newsletter that uh, you commented a bit about the hazy style of IPAs. Yes, that it was uh, kind of finally <laughs> going down a little bit. What, what do you think about it? Because we talked a lot of about the, the trends of the hazy IPA, which have been skyrocketing for the last couple of years. Sure. Well, it's, um, I think we're just like, we've reached a point where there's more of an equilibrium that, that that's really what I was, what I was referencing is that going to a beer festival in, um, in 2019, mm-hmm. it was like every brewery had a hazy IPA yeah. and the festival that I went to in, in Washington, DC, um, the week before last, they they were actually hard to find, mm. and I was really quite thrilled to see that they're becoming um, more of a part of the beer mm. 
scene instead of like dominating the beer scene. Yeah, yeah. And and West Coast IPAs, now you've seen oh. the pendulum swing back where like I have one on tap right now, which I'm happy about. Yeah. <laughs> um I've had a I've had a couple while I'm here and mm. I'm just like happy to see that that style is is alive and well and and look to be honest, like some of the West Coast IPAs mm. that are being put out today are like they're still dry hopped, and it's it's like really a hybrid of New England and West Coast. Yeah, and that that's the thing, which when you, like when it comes to wine, you have all these regulations and laws which you can and can't do, which you don't really have with beer in the same sense mm-hmm. at all. And when you write out an IPA, you open it, you pour it, and it's hazy, like. If, if people write West Coast IPA and you pour it and it's hazy, yeah. you smell it. Okay, there's shitloads of mosaic in this one, yeah. Yeah. and it's yep. dry hop the sh- they dry hop the shit out of it. Yeah, should there be any kind of regulations with that? Because it's 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 you 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 want to Brewers trust even talk about that New England style IPAs or or hazies mm. aren't really IPAs. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I yeah. wouldn't go that far, but, yeah. but like, some people uh, are. Well, you know, it, it's. You could you could argue you know there have been so many variants of IPA over the years so many different interpretations you had the black IPA the white IPA the red IPA the cold IPA which don't get me started on that like cold <laughs> IPA the cold IPA I mean it's so there's oh and the brute IPA don't forget the brute IPA that was a thing for a hot second honestly you couldn't even ha- you couldn't even get people to explain what a brute IPA was because there was one brewery that made it in San Francisco and I think every I've seen that in Sweden too. Yeah, it, it, it probably Brute made its IPA. way over oh, here. The brew. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, dry, it's a very it dry was kind of IPA. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 But like there was there was one brewery that was making it and it's a very small brewery, like just a brew pub in San Francisco that you know started this trend and then are all these other breweries making it based on interpretations of a recipe of a beer that they never tried themselves. So it's so like, what is a root IPA? I couldn't tell you with a cold yeah, IPA. So, yeah. so to get rid of all the, like you get a zero fine gravity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 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 But like that could come across in so many different ways. And the cold IPA was, you know, at first, uh, like when I was first reading about it, there, there's a brewery in Oregon um, that kind of started that trend. And I'm like, isn't that just an IPL? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's it's a Kolsch yeast that we're using. And I'm like, okay, so it's a cold fermented IPA. I I get it, but like, still, that's a hoppy Kolsch. That's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like like people used to market a hoppy Kolsch, but it's marketing because in the yeah. in the U.S. and I mean across the world, like you know, like no matter where I go in the world now, whenever wherever there's craft beer, it's IPA, 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 and I'm like, yeah. You know, like you, you slap those letters on any style of beer and it'll sell better, probably, mm. in, especially in the U.S. It's where like walking around New York, everything's artisan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can charge more for it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what, what I'm saying with, with regulations is that it's not something that should come in, in a sense because you shouldn't <laughs> it, just it, be it able to slap something be, You wouldn't be it. able to do that. No. There's, there's, yeah, there's too just much innovation. Name it something else. Well, and in the U.S., where we have nine thousand breweries, it's, it'd be like herding cats to enforce those regulations. <laughs> like it just, it's just not going to happen. And and there, there are so many breweries that I've visited that their mantra is: we we aren't defined by a style. 
or we won't mm-hmm. let you know we will not define what our beers are taste over um, style or yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so no one in the beer industry not no one i shouldn't say that but there's a lot of people in in the beer industry who just don't want rigidity they don't mm. they they don't want to have to follow rules or guidelines because it stifles innovation but lo- lots of lots of people in the beer industry are also they are crazy <laughs> they have to be to to start a brewery oh yeah to yeah. take all their savings and put it in the black hole called a brewery mm-hmm. where you might or might not get something back yep uh, you have to be a bit off centered yes and yep. uh, as like brew dogs Oh, mantras like off-centered off beers for off-centered people. Uh, they don't want to be boxed in. Right, right. Uh, they they want to be the rebel. They want to be like, and of course you can't, it's really hard to leg- legislate uh, people who are uh, basically anarchists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. That of, of course, yeah. It's, 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 it's just that when you, when you get a beer and it's not what it says, it's it's it's, yeah, it's a it, bit it's a bit. Uh, but it's like it's like saying, "Oh, this is is a porter, this is a stout." Mm-hmm. If the brewer writes porter on on his label, of course it's a porter because he named it that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Even though I find it closer to a stout in style, hey, that's what he calls it. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recognize that. Like from a consumer standpoint, it gets frustrating when you mm-hmm. order something and then it turns out to be something that you don't expect but i think that breweries can get around that by you know that's why you have barmen yeah yeah that's why you have yeah. don't have a robot behind the bar serving yeah. you your beer yeah you ask your bartender what should i have i like these flavors and yeah. i'll tell you the and fucking he, he, truth <laughs> well I, <laughs> no, he, will the, give, he will give you what you want if and i am the barman. worst i am the <laughs> worst nightmare of that barman because I'm the one who says, I like all styles. Yeah. <laughs> you were easy as me. fuck, man. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise me. Yeah. Then you get a glass of water and you go, don't surprise me again. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no, but uh, I feel like as a, a, a barman, <laughs> I think it's most fun. And I, that's what I say. I lo- that's why I work, love working at Akarot because I can be honest when, when I think about it. Like, because I know the beer is going to sell. Yep. So my opinion, and I always say that, but that's my opinion. So you yeah. might have a different opinion, but... If somebody asks me, do you like this beer? And I don't, I'm going to tell them, no, I don't like it. But you might, and they can have a taste. Yep. And, and that's the, the most fun. But I feel like it's, it's my responsibility to be honest about the style. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and it's getting, getting a bit hard to, to be honest about the style. Because when, when we connect something and you go, oh, it's a West Coast IPA, and try it, and you go, no, it wasn't. It was a hazy. But then it's up to us mm-hmm. to actually... Explain that to the customer as well. Yeah, but I usually say that even though if it's a good beer, I'm not going to trash the beer because you know, it's not according to the style. But I'm, I'm going to say that it's more like this style because that's yeah, it has this and this and that. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the most important thing. So, barman, keep doing your jobs. <laughs> well, and it's like <laughs> explain the styles. Yeah, and, and honestly, descriptions are always helpful too. Mm-hmm. But like classifications are always hard. You know, and, yeah, and and we go back to a beer like the. Brooklyn black chocolate stout. Like now, you know, what would you call it? an imperial dry stout? <laughs> like, yeah. like because you have to almost define because mm. imperial stout has has unfortunately and especially in the states evolved to a point where it's synonymous with pastry stout. Like mm. imperial stout means a high gravity beer that probably has a lot of residual sugar in it, and they and that, probably shove in some vanilla mm. and lactose yep. just for the 
for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you want to be sure you get an Imperial Stout, you go to Estonia because there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the Imperial Stout for you. <laughs> or you but, go to London and try the original of course. Imperial Stout. Sure. Uh, sure. But I want to also change the subject a little bit and go back because I'm going to give you a gift now. Oh, because well, I have uh, uh, the first gift, I'm going to give you a little Lambic book here. Oh. Written by Tim Webb, Chris Pollard, and Joris Patton. Awesome. We have a couple of those, and I have one of my home, at home myself. This nice is very one. cool. Uh, so I am a um, one of my best friends um, is a uh, is as much of a beer geek as I am, and um, he has not traveled to um, to Belgium, mm. and uh, his his wife asked me to take him to. Oh, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm gonna <laughs> tell him not to listen. Um, has a- asked me to take him to Belgium for his his 40th birthday coming up, and mm. uh, so I'm I'm going to have to to do that, but. Um, but yeah, the uh, this this will this will also help guide me there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the lambic land. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm literally that's where I'm traveling to, ah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and we have a few more gifts because we're sitting at Akrat. So there's oh, an Akrat awesome. cap for you. Thank uh, you. And this something awesome. to carry it in when when and you get tied yeah. up oh, wearing yes. it. And yes. also you can <laughs> carry a few beers if you go to Bulagets. <laughs> <laughs> this tote this bag. Will, this, this, oh, this is a great tote bag. Hey, that's Uh-oh. really nice. I have yeah. like five of them myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so At much. Least. This is, yeah. I mean, and honestly, I've seen more than a few people in my travels wearing Akarat gear. Mm. And it's like, I'm like, I've been there. Like, great, <laughs> you know, great shirt, great hat. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice that I'll be the one doing that now, too. I, it is funny to travel internationally and so like i saw someone where was i i was i was at like a rooftop bar last night with with some friends of mine and there was a guy who walked up to the bar wearing a burlington beer company shirt (laughs) and i'm like oh i love i love your shirt man he's like thanks and he's like i I went there like three years ago i'm like oh i used to live in vermont and just ended up talking for a few minutes about beer in vermont (laughs) we had a guy in, in the bar yesterday who who was like he's from Tampa and like oh well, and you're into beers. What, which breweries do you prefer? And it's like, what do you think of Magnanimous and Charlie Mears over in Tampa? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I just literally three days ago had beers with Charlie. So how the <laughs> fuck do you know him? <laughs> and I stayed at his place when I was in Tampa last time. So it's like. <laughs> So the uh, the beer world is a small world, it's but it's so a small. friendly, fantastic yeah, world. Yeah, it's, it's it's a lovely world, and I think we're lucky to work at the place we do because it's kind of a oh. gathering points for for beer geeks when it comes to Sweden or Stockholm, at least. So yeah, well, there's, there's a reason we are up there among the top beer mm. restaurant beer yeah. bars in the world, and, not and just because of what we have in our basement, yeah, but the knowledge behind the bar and the, and the uh, and the variety of beers that we serve is. Mm. It's, in my opinion, really amazing. It's it's the reason that I was drawn here right off you know right off the plane. But the the small world part of things just comes through in another way. Like I my first time here, it was I was a late bloomer when it came to to traveling overseas. And um, Stockholm was literally the first city the first city overseas that I ever visited. Oh, like cool. I had been to I had been to Canada, Mexico, but uh, had never traveled overseas. And which has changed dramatically since then. I've been to 24 <laughs> countries since now. I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, but 
I came here right, right off the bat and just felt like I had to had to come experience one of the world's great beer bars. And um, I sat down. I I think I had I probably had Norval or something like that. And then after that, I had a um, I was like, let me I just asked for something local and got a Stockholm Brewing Company IPA. I think this mm. was they were probably a year year in at that time. They were fairly new. Um, I checked into the beer and untapped and said, you know, something kind about how, hey, if this is if this is what Swedish craft beer is, we're off to a great start. And five minutes later, I get a comment on my check in from Stockholm Brewing Company. Hey, we're down the street at this bar playing Patank. Come, come see us. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you told me this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and like for the rest of the weekend, I was uh, I was hanging out with those folks, and then hanging hanging out with you a day later. <laughs> and it, it's just it's it, you know the the beer industry is is small and friendly, mm. and it's a welcoming, uh, accepting world. Mm. Yeah, it really is. It really, uh, is. but it also, as you said. It's a business that tends to, when things go really wrong, like in, in terms of uh, abuse at workplaces or or uh, people who, God forbid, uh, act up on in domestic abuse and mm-hmm. stuff like that, mm-hmm. they really get shunned. Yeah, mm. yeah. They, they are they are taken I've, away from mm. the, from the business. I. I I wish that was more true than I, than, you know, than it is. Um, but the fact that there is at least a very pronounced rallying cry against that now in a way that it was just kind of ignored a few years ago um, is a step in the right direction. You know, there's been some news out of the States in the past couple of weeks that has suggested that people who... Um, were abusing their positions within a brewery um, are now getting back into the brewing business. And um, we thought there were actual consequences and now we're realizing there may not necessarily be them. Um, and that's a bit troubling. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think we just have to continue to push and try to make beer a more inclusive place. And um, there's a lot of people in the States that are doing that. Um, and I feel like in New York, we're kind of on the forefront, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of breweries that are trying to create a, uh, more inclusive environment and try to, uh, bring more people of color into the beer industry, um, through internships and through apprenticeships and things like that. Women. Yes. Um, it's, it's really, we've, we've made progress in New York, um, we're not there. I mean, we are one of the most diverse cities in the world and the, the people in the tap room at most breweries in New York city do not reflect the demographic makeup of Mm. New York city. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's definitely more we can do. Um, but I think we're at least recognizing that Mm. and, and making the right steps and it should be fun for everybody. I was so happy. It's, a couple of weeks ago, two two young women came into the bar. We have uh, twenty three here yep. as an age limit. Mm-hmm. Which, if if you're just two, you can't you can't come in. If you're just like two or, or you oh, quite early, like and if you and if you're sober, and yeah, like, yep, and you're yep. interested. Had she one of the girls was eighteen, that was nineteen because I ID them. Mm-hmm. 
And the first thing they say to me when I come up to the bar is like, we heard you have real ale. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and these, these girls look like, you know, your regular nightclub party yeah, 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 women. Yeah. And I, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I served them like one of each of the real, I don't remember what we had on, I think it was like something from Kent and uh, something from Huebo, I think. Mm. And I was just in, not in shock because I know that everybody can drink beer, but you was just you were happy. I'm, I was yeah. happy. I'm yeah. like these two young young women that doesn't look they, they look kind of out of place <laughs> when the beer crowd <laughs> comes in and asks for real ale. That made me happy because then then I know that it's spreading. It's it's yeah. it's. It's, it's not. It's not it, beer is not just a drink to get shit face drunk on. No, right. anymore. I have I yep. have friends who's very nerdy in beer that have never heard of cast condition ale before. So I'm like, well, how have you heard about this? <laughs> I'm, I'm always interested in what they were talking. So I didn't really interview them, but but still, it makes me happy that it's it's spreading and that uh, all these different styles and and ways to drink beer spreads among the people. Yeah, and and honestly, I think that going back to our. T- talking about loggers, I think that you know having you know even adjunct loggers, dare I say it, or or a pilsner um, on tap can bring someone who would not necessarily be into craft beer. <clears throat> it can it can be a way to get them to appreciate something other than just the beer. I mean, it, because taproom culture is so huge in the yeah. U.S., like making an inclusive taproom also includes having styles that are appealing to the average beer mm. drinker. Yeah, yeah. That's the fun with the average beer drinker that comes in and says, "In stor stark tak," which is yeah. what a big, big, large. big, big, large, strong lager. Mm-hmm. And they get a question. All right, I have like between four to eight lagers on tap right now. What kind of lagers do you like? And they're like, uh. <laughs> and then you give them a sample of something and they go, Sample. Oh, this is the best. Do you like I've more ever had. sweetness or more hoppiness or yep. do you like them dark? They're like, oh, I don't like dark beers. Now, dark is not a flavor. <laughs> you can try about Swartz beer and like, oh, this is delicious. I know, you like Swartz beers now. <laughs> and that's, I think that's the most fun being behind the bar and, and showing people that aren't a beer geek yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and, and, uh, what I always say is like, I appreciate the, the places where the service goes in with an open mind to the consumer. So if someone says something about beer that, you know, seems like they really have no clue what they're talking about, you still treat them like any other consumer mm, because you, it's, a, it's an education, like a, a snob, right? Exactly. Yeah. Again, it's the beer geek versus a beer snob, you know? And, um, I, I really think that, uh, the snobbery has been gatekeeping for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it still, it there. turns people off. Yeah. Still yeah. There f- yeah. With, with some, yeah. But, yeah. It, but like, you can only do so much to control that among consumers of beer, mm. but you can absolutely control it as someone who works in the beer industry. Oh yes, and I think we have to do more to stop the gatekeeping. I've I, I've been guilty of it myself, you mm. know, um, and uh, I've, I've definitely a few times like stopped myself from from just saying something that just comes off as snobbish, even if it's not meant to be. No. Um, it's like. I don't need to tell, mm. you know, someone who's having an IPA for the first time the evolution of American IPA over the last 10 years. Course, they don't need to know that. <laughs> they probably don't care enough to know that. If they that ask about put, it, that maybe they'll probably put them off on yeah, drinking IPAs. If they don't want to talk about it, like then it's fine. And some some people do want to talk about it. I had a guest in 
oh, you remember this guy that uh, came in and asked me about uh, an IPA. Mm-hmm. And I said, no IPA. I asked him what he ki- what kind of IPAs he likes. He ended up drinking a Snake Head IPA from Salabrigus because mm-hmm. he liked the more East Coast style because he was a really big fan of Brooklyn East in a pale ale. And, <laughs> and he asked me, do you know how IPAs came to be? <laughs> oh, gosh. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm aware of the, the, the story, the, the big, you know, yeah, the, famous the story. Myth. The, the myth. myth. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, there's uh, different ones. And he started explaining to me, <laughs> telling me the story. And I'm like, I don't want to be like rude. So I'm like just listening. Like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I'm keeping working. And then the girl he was with, is, she literally said these words. Are you really sitting at a beer bar and explain to the bartender what an IPA is? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> she tells him. <laughs> and I just looked at her and said, thank you. <laughs> but it's like, it, it's it's... Beer should not be that. Like, it's right. d- don't start explaining stuff. And yeah, but he, he was probably new out. to beer, and he wanted yeah. to he wanted to show that. Hey, I've learned something. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. also <laughs> way of being nerdy. Yeah, uh, but uh, I I understand. There I is understand a time and a place. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. a time and a place. And <laughs> also, like, strike up a conversation first. <laughs> before right, right, right. Start. Before you start telling a bartender. What yeah, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and and I'm I mean those. When I do overhear someone telling that story, they're clearly a big enough nerd that I can like, I'll be like, oh, but wait, do you want to know another theory on, <laughs> on the origin yeah, exactly. of the, like, and How it's, much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or, or like trying to explain, um, I mean, the existence of IPAs in the UK a hundred years before they actually occupied mm. India. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the, the other thing that I, I, I love to talk about is more that the the history and the evolution of of American beer. Yeah. Just because you know, I I feel like I'm a student of it, having read a lot up on on the history that even predates me mm-hmm. as a as a beer drinker. Um, but especially the the more modern history that we've lived uh, of seeing the evolution of American beer into something that we can actually be proud of and that we export. We export not just the beer, but the tradition. Yeah, and um, Grossman, thank yeah. you. Lift. <laughs> tip your hat to these guys. Exactly. Without them, we would still be drinking shit lagers all over the world. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I love to like. That's the stuff that I nerd out about, and will like talk about when I travel. But uh, I mean, I've the origin story of the New England IPA is kind of fascinating too, because it originates at a brew pub that I used to go to after going skiing in Vermont. You know, <laughs> like I just I, I would just casually have a heady topper and and yeah. and ooh, yeah, and then and now that that that's you know, just that started the, the whole thing. And and my my favorite my favorite story about that though is that. Um, hazy IPAs are, you know, were obviously frowned upon. Like if you, if you, especially some of the more like opaque, yeah, um, hazy IPAs that are out now, um, were like if you've got that put in front of you as when you ordered an IPA twelve years ago in the U.S., people would, what is this? This is this is orange juice. This is this is chicken broth. <laughs> this is this is not this Get is not away from me. Yeah. Um and and Hetty Topper was hazy and not, when the, not that crazy hazy. But correct it wasn't. But the reason that it's you know the the uh the can said drink from the can and still does today is because at the time it People were just embarrassed. Like, you know, 
they they didn't want you to see what that beer looked like. They wanted they to just wanted you to taste, <laughs> taste it. it. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it tasted amazing. <laughs> yeah. But if you did pour it but out, it tasty, especially like, if you yeah. especially if you agitated the can yeah. and got some of the the hop debris that was in there, it would just <laughs> it looked it. It looked gross, it, and now that's accepted. <laughs> of course, there, there there are those hazy IPAs that are actually really, really good. Uh, it's just the the style when it's. But well, in the beginning, it the still had a backbone. It had, yeah, you still hopped it during the boil, yep. or at least in the end of the boil. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, some hazy there's IPAs, like zero IBU IPAs. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah. 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 So it's, it's just a yeah. sweet, sweet hoppy juice that you want to take one sip off and you're like oh, I'm done now but yeah. it, 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 hey, there's it. people who actually enjoy hot burn and I don't you're I right. don't enjoy hot burn but like there are plenty of great zero IBU dry hopped IPAs that don't have that pronounced hot burn yeah. mm. and uh, as a as an educated beer consumer if I buy a four pack of an IPA that does have hot burn I don't mind sitting on that beer for a few weeks to let the to let it's it burn off, it, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, but but you're you're a he's you know, like a beer historian geek, then I guess because you read back uh, you oh yeah the development I, of the U.S. I mean, it's you in should it's really, a his, do you know Joel Hedman? That's the, that's a great. You should actually listen to we we did What's a podcast that? with a guy called Joel Hedman. Mm. Okay, and we did the beer history of Sweden from year one. Till oh now. wow! Okay, it's, it's two a, episodes, so you got to listen into that. That's, one. So that's really so. So I I. I eat that up because it's it's just so fascinating to see. So, like, the perception mm. of beer history here from an outsider's perspective is it doesn't have an ingrained single beer cult, singular beer culture that mm. evolved over a thousand years. It's not, you know, it's not Germany in that respect or even oh, a mm. few hundred years in the case of, of England and Belgium. Um, the, and that, that, that'll be interesting. Cause I mean, I've always thought that the, the places that have innovated the most in terms of making American style beer overseas have been the places that didn't have a, that didn't have their own tradition. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the Swedish history, history of beer is very all over the place. <laughs> and very <laughs> yeah, that from like I mean, the 1600s I mean, and on, it's very German. It's the 1600s yeah, yeah. when you, when you. If you did uh, a school, like you shared with somebody, mm-hmm. if you didn't drink up, you get stabbed. You could get stabbed because, like, <laughs> fuck you, you didn't drink your drink. Well, you finish <laughs> finish your drink, otherwise it's impolite. Yeah, is this, and, is, and, is this so, a threat that I have to finish these? No. Yeah, these yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in the, in the taverns, they would find behind, like, these like you know, wooden walls and stuff like that, they had found, like, hidden beers that were full. Like, people hid oh, them gosh. because, like, they didn't want to because they were shit-faced already. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a very wide history and it's very interesting to listen to. So Yul Hedman is uh, oh we're shouting out Yul Hedman a lot in this uh, podcast. Well, he's he's <laughs> a guest Yule? quite often. Yeah, okay, he's, he's, okay. he's, he's a fromager, beer historian, tour gui- beer tour guide, uh, all over nice guy. And awesome. he has the most epic mm. beard of all time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a good guy all around. And, a uh, guy into beard that has a beard that's amazing. Uh, but I hate to be the party pooper, but. You're going to get a massage because your I back am. is thrown. My back is fucked. <laughs> uh, so we have to actually wrap this up. Mm. And we're going to rehearse this once. But uh, then we're going to cut it. And do we have to rehearse that? But no, he, we, no, we can do it, but we've got to rehearse it with ah, him. Ah, okay. Because we always end the podcast. No, we can't do that yet. Oh, we have to ask the final question first. Chris? Oh, okay. This is the hard question I talked about the other day. Yep, yep. I'm going to kill you right now. 
You can have one more beer. <laughs> You're going to die. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You can bring I one know, with you. I know. I, one I, last beer. I was prepared for this question uh, as, as someone who does dip into the podcast a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Cheater. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, honestly, it's embarrassing. I wouldn't even say I'm embarrassed about it. Uh, Narragansett Lager. It is a regional adjunct lager um, brewed in... It's actually... The lager itself is brewed in Rochester, New York, uh, but it's originally it was originally brewed in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm. Um, and uh, I grew up about a half mile from the brewery mm. um, when... It was still in operation in Rhode Island, and um, it it is a really easy drinking lager. And you know, I I don't want to feel too full if I'm about to <laughs> get killed. I guess, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know that that's like in the desert island beers for me, mm. and and um, it's probably one of the more oddball ones that that I have in there because obviously there's great craft beer out there, but. I just, I truly appreciate a good, easy drinking lager, the simplicity of it, uh, the consistency of it too, because it is difficult to make consistently and it has to be flawless. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Narragansett Lager. I believe that's the most thorough answer we ever got. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he's a journalist. Yeah. For God's sake. <laughs> Guys, whatever you do out there, drink, drink better, better beer. beer. That's it, guys. Thank you all for listening, and make sure you subscribe to the Brew Organ newsletter. Also, thank you to our sponsors, Bishop Arms, Elite Hotels, and Accurate for making sure we are able to continue doing the podcast. Next week, we'll be in Helsingborg, visiting Brewski Val, one of the best beer festivals in the world. So check out your social media for more on that, and whatever you do, drink better beer. Well, everybody, we're back with the beer ball.